Welcome back to the Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson from South Bend, Matt Fortuna in Chicago. This is our free episode of the week. Getting into a little bit of New Mexico, but I think more interesting is sort of the state of affairs with Notre Dame right now. Um, you know, a little bit worse for wear coming out of Louisville and a physical week of practices. And then, you know, we'll, we'll spend some time talking about the bigger picture as well, because Matt, you were sort of behind the scenes with Army at Michigan. That was so, so close to being really one of the most incredible stories of the college football season. Um, but before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about Notre Dame. And before we talk a little bit about Notre Dame, again, you're listening to The Shamrock. Subscribe. You can go to theathletic.com backslash The Shamrock. This is our free show for the week. Uh, we have bonus episodes at the end of the week. If you missed last week's bonus episode for athletic subscribers, we had Brady Quinn on. Without a really sharp analysis of Ian Book, what went right, what didn't, uh, and how much needs to get better for Notre Dame to, I think, hit its goals the rest of the season. I mean, and frankly, Matt, one of those things that has to improve is Notre Dame needs to get a lot healthier at running back because I think that was sort of the news since our last podcast, Jafar Armstrong, as we reported out anywhere from five to eight weeks. Uh, back against Michigan is what I'm told would be optimistic. Now, Jameer Smith has a sprained toe as well. His status, I think, is a little bit murky for New Mexico. They moved Avery Davis from cornerback back to running back after moving him from running back to cornerback a year ago. So it's, um, I mean, Notre, like everyone's got problems short of Clemson and Alabama, and I, th- I think, but Notre Dame has its own now with the running back situation. And I think that's, um, if, the, if they're going to play the kind of offense that offensive coordinator Chip Long wants to play, which is run first play action, they really need more than Tony Jones to make that work because Tony Jones is, I think, a complimentary back. Um, the way Brian Kelly described it is Jameer, or Avery Davis moves only because Jafar Armstrong is hurt, so he's a replacement for Jafar Armstrong. But in, in really no way, I, I think, are they similar players at all. Um, you know, Jafar Armstrong, I think, was a, a player that the coaches were really excited about as really one of their top five offensive skill players maybe one of their top four offensive skill players frankly and you know to lose him for a month I mean you look back at the Louisville game they come out in a two running back set with Armstrong and Jones and then they had to scrap it for the rest of the game after one series they, they never went back to it at all because they just didn't have a player of Jafar Armstrong's skill set so Avery Davis is not going to bring that to the table I don't think um, I like Jameer Smith when healthy, now he's a little bit banged up, so I guess we'll see how that shakes out. But, again, it's Notre Dame suddenly is, I think, a, a lot more banged up than they would like to be for sure. Um, I do have good intel from a source that Cole Komet will definitely play against Georgia, which is huge. But against New Mexico, I think it's a lot more of a patchwork um, offensive game plan. Yeah, it seems that way. And again, we've talked a lot about Ian Book's legs, and I don't think you want to run him a lot, especially in a game uh, like the New Mexico one. But uh, that's a good luxury to have right now when you're in the scholarship situation at running back that you are right now. I mean, we saw Texas uh, last week uh, turn the wheels loose with Sam Ellinger because they only had one scholarship running back. Lance Taylor's got his work cut out for him here. He's going to have to earn his paycheck uh, earlier than I think most Irish fans anticipated after he replaced Audrey Denson as a running backs coach. But the one thing that comes to mind, I don't think the parallels are really there, but I do remember in 2015 when uh, I want to say in the spring, they had maybe two scholarship running backs and they moved to J pro who uh, had been all over the place as well. And he ended up being an awesome running back that fall. I'm not saying Avery Davis is going to uh, uh, parallel exactly the path that pro took. He's at the NFL right now. and having a nice career, but um, this staff has experience 
uh, kind of making something out of nothing when it comes to position switches. I, I just don't know if the personnel's on on this roster right now uh, where, they'll, where they'll be able to adjust in time, especially for Georgia next week. Yeah, but the big difference there is that was Autry Denson working with the recruiting product of Tony Alford. Now it's Lance Taylor working with the recruiting product of Autry Denson. And that's not the same thing at all. I mean, they lose Torian Fulston first series of the game against Texas that year uh, to an ACL and ProSize comes in. Josh Adams runs for a touchdown. They're, they're, they're fine. Um, you know, they had Dexter Williams as a freshman that year too, I think. And I, I think really it's going to be the freshmen and sophomores that determine whether Notre Dame is going to be okay or whether they just have to scrape by um, for the next couple of weeks. I, I'm very interested to see what Kyron Williams does because that he was one of the few young players that I think the spotlight got a little bit too big. He dropped the ball uh, on sort of a quick pass to the left for me and book against Louisville and then really didn't play again. And the coaches privately will tell you that that was sort of a mistake on their part. They needed to run Kyron Williams back out there to get his confidence up. But the, you know, once you get in the flow of the game, some of the, that can get missed sometimes. And it, it did with Kyron Williams because the, what I was told is basically the coaching staff believes that Kyron Williams made enough plays in August to warrant a few cracks at, at it before you would decide whether he could do it or not. Um, so I think he's, he's somebody who barely played at all against Louisville, who's probably going to play a ton against New Mexico. And if he has sort of that, that first appearance jitters out of his system, it would not surprise me at all if Kyron Williams had a huge game on Saturday because the staff, they like him as a person, a personality, a player, a worker. Um, they really like everything that he brings to the table. So I think that that's probably somebody that we're, we're not talking about enough. Uh, and I guess freshman running backs who have zero carries and one target probably are not going to get talked about a lot anyway. But just I would say definitely watch on Saturday what happens with freshman running back Kyron Williams because I, I think he's got a chance to play a ton of football. You got to do that this week too. I don't, I don't think uh, you can unleash him in his first start or first meaningful action, uh, extended action uh, under lights in Athens, Georgia, with that front seven of Georgia bearing down on you. I mean, uh, a long way of saying I agree. I mean, if this kid's going to uh, be a player and get significant time, it's going to have to start with this weekend. Yeah, I think that one of the other things coming out of Brian Kelly on his Monday press conference is, I think just, I don't want to say dissatisfaction. I feel like that might be the wrong word, but, not wrong by a lot um, because sort of his tone and what they put the team through last week with very physical practices. I asked, you know, is that, is that a reaction to Louisville or is that more of a reaction to you have a bye week in week two? And while he said he, he talked about week two and his words would indicate like you want to keep your conditioning going and sort of keep what you've built through training camp going despite the bye. Well, he said that, I feel like his tone was much more, we didn't play very well at Louisville. Our players know they didn't play very well at Louisville. I want our coaches to coach a heck of a lot better than they did at Louisville. Um, so it's, I feel like this is, it's going to be an interesting week for Notre Dame to see if Brian Kelly can get a response out of the team. Um, one of the other things I asked him on Monday was, the way he was describing preparing for New Mexico, it sounded a lot like a press conference before Ball State last year. And anyone who watched that game or attended it, God bless you, um, that was that was just a really rough, ragged performance. It was it was one of those afternoons where you're like, 
you'd, you'd sort of get the Jim Mora playoffs. We're talking about playoffs soundbite in there because they, they looked a million miles away from it. Um, I think in some ways they, they may benefit from a, a slightly ragged performance against Louisville and a bye week going into New Mexico in terms of focus than they did last year where you have the high of beating Michigan, which is, look, that's a legitimate earned high. That's that's the reason you come to Notre Dame, one of them, is to beat Michigan. Um, and the fact that they did that was huge. So um, they, they're probably not going to have the come down moment um, that they did from Michigan going into Ball State. I think in, in some ways it's Louisville was a reminder that how much they have to build moving forward. I'm, I'm really, really curious to see how that plays out on Saturday. It's just such a weird start to the season. I know we mentioned this when we were in the press box at Louisville, which, but by the way, I know we shut out Papa John. Apparently Shaq is now a pitchman for them, so I don't want to make too much fun of that company anymore unless he <laughs> uh, comes in here and uh, gets upset. But uh, just a weird start. I mean, between the Labor Day night one, you got to wait later than everyone else. Uh, you don't look all that sharp uh, on both sides of the ball, at least initially. Uh, you have a bye, and then you have New Mexico, which is obviously an overwhelmed program to begin with, but is even going to have its head coach on the sideline because Bob Davey uh, is still feeling some of the effects of whatever happened outside the locker room uh, in New Mexico's first game last week. Um, it's just very, very hard to to get an accurate gauge of what this team is and what this team could be. And uh, we're going to – you know, even the Georgia game, I mean – Look, let's face it, most people are expecting Georgia to win that game probably by double digits. And if things play out in that manner, I'm still not sure if we can get an accurate gauge of just how good this Notre Dame, game is go- Notre Dame team is going to be. Because, uh, as we said earlier, I mean, Georgia's operating at, at that level of, of darn near Clemson, Alabama right now, where uh, they're in that elite tier of programs that Notre Dame is probably still trying to get to. And if Notre Dame goes on the road and loses that game by, by 10 points or so, is that encouraging? Is that not encouraging? I, I don't know. I mean, the, the way the schedule shakes out this year, uh, you just don't get the chance to learn a lot about this team the way you did last year, um, even though that took a few weeks uh, after the quarterback switch because, um, look, this is Ian Book's team. The, these these defensive guys, these defensive starters, particularly linebacker, are, are going to be the starters the rest of the season, are going to see meaningful action the rest of the season. And uh, – Yes, they cannot come out the flat the way they did last year against Ball State. I think the bye week is good for them. They practice on a Saturday. They were able to, hopefully for their sake, work out some of the kinks and errors that caught them off guard in week one. But uh, it's just really, really tough for, for people like us and for fans to, to get an accurate read on this team, and probably for the coaches as well, uh, just adjusting to the kind of schedule that they have to go through uh, in the first three weeks of the season. Yeah, and, and I mean, like privately, the coaches are were sort of beside themselves with Book's performance. So the, the, what we saw and felt on on Monday night in Louisville was was exactly how it was <laughs> dissected uh, in the film room in the goo. And it, it's you know it backs up to our, our interview with Brady Quinn on Thursday on, the, on our bonus podcast for athletic subscribers that that was the performance of not a ten game starter. It was the performance of a, a first time starter and I mean you look at the decisions that book made um to especially to run it when he didn't have to were were really bizarre to me um because I always felt like pocket presence and decision making um, maybe not pocket presence in terms of spinning out the better way for me to say that would probably be mobility behind the line of scrimmage while keeping your eyes downfield he played a game where his eyes dropped and he just took off running I mean he had 14 carries. I think Notre Dame would have preferred he had six or seven. Um, 
You know, he scrambled. I want to. I want to say he had seven scrambles, and they took three sacks. There was that design run right before halftime for a touchdown, which was a really nice play. But other than that, he just he seemed kind of like a a skittish quarterback there. It's like, I mean, even his one of his biggest plays of the game was that run that thirty seven yard run to start the game. If that play was executed correctly, it's probably either a touchdown pass to Chris Fink or a touchdown to Jafar Armstrong, depending on. Uh, you know, Notre Dame picking up the blitz a little bit better. There there were guys open all the time, and I think it was, it was a question in my mailbag last week about Chris Fink and moving outside and whether that was a, a good move or a bad move. And talking to people around Notre Dame, they, they feel like, look, Chris Fink could have had 100 yards receiving against Louisville. Instead, he had two. So there's there's just so much room for improvement for me and Book. I And I think that's, a, that's probably – is it as interesting as what they do with their run game this weekend with unproven players? Probably not, but I think probably the biggest step forward is going to be a quarterback this weekend. And I, I would be, I would one, I would be shocked if Ian book ran double digit times. I would be shocked if he didn't throw it 35 times. And I think he's probably going to throw for 300, 350 yards and a few touchdowns, probably three or four, because he's got, he's got a point to prove. And you know, it's an it's an interesting point because I think in in some ways what got him in trouble was trying to do too much. I mean, it's a cliche, but I think it happened on Monday night. If he just can see the offense, the way the plays are being called from Chip Long and Tom Reese, and and sort of like get the game plan down a little bit better, then I I think he's got he he will go back and watch the Louisville game and look at the plays and be like, holy cow, I cannot believe I didn't see Chase Claypool wide open on this RPO or why did I keep it when I had Chris Fink wide open or, you know, that there was a, a crossing route that I was, you know, fit into the zone perfectly, but I tucked it and ran instead. Um, there are just so many things where I don't want to say it's free yards because it's, it's football and there are guys flying at you and you have to make tough decisions. I get it. But he's, he's so, I, I think he's smart enough quarterback that um, once he sees those openings, because he's seen them before, um, that's when you're going to see him take the step forward that Notre Dame needs him to take. Yeah, I would be shocked if he ran the ball 14 times the way he did against Louisville. <laughs> that would be I mean, bad news, no man. Need. That would be very bad news. I mean, there's just no need for it against New Mexico. There's no need for it the week before you play Georgia. I mean, you need to protect yourself in that regard, too. And there's just so many questions about that backfield and about uh, some of the guys who will be running the ball. Now, does that mean he throws the ball 35 times? Maybe. I mean, I think it's still going to be a relatively vanilla game plan. But he, I think he just needs a game like this to uh, get comfortable, not feel rushed, correct the mistakes that, that he made at Louisville, and just feel like the Ian Book of the first 12 games of last season uh, before the playoff uh, going into the Georgia game. Because if, if he has another bad outing, we're talking three bad games in a row going into one of the toughest environments in college football, and that would be bad news for Notre Dame. Yeah, and I think that I'm, I'm curious if we can spin this sort of nationally a little bit here because you were up in Ann Arbor on Saturday for the double overtime win by Michigan over Army uh, where there were moments where it looked like Michigan was going to find a way to lose that game. And, you know, we talked about this at Louisville on Monday night when we recorded the, the reaction pod is that, I mean, you look at college football today and you've got clearly Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, Oklahoma. You could make an argument that LSU is – hard trending up right now after how they played at Texas. But I think the w the way we described it was Notre Dame sort of in that next group. And 
you know, however well or poorly they played at Louisville, it was it was a little bit of a mixed bag. There's absolutely nothing that came out of the bye week that would change my mind. Like Stanford's got problems, Michigan's got problems, uh, Virginia is good, uh, USC. Who knows? I think they were sort of left for dead, and then Keaton Slovis comes in and has an incredible night against Stanford. So, I mean, I think Notre Dame. Well, well, the Georgia game I think looks more daunting now than when the season started. I think the rest of the schedule, you can make an argument that, that maybe it looks a little bit less because Michigan and Stanford are, are not quite to the caliber that you know you would have expected in June or July. No, I mean, Notre Dame had a bye this week, and, and frankly, so did most of their opponents. They went 7-2. and two. Most of those were against FCS opponents among the FBS ones. 2-1. and one. USC beat Stanford, and Michigan beat Army in double overtime. And, uh, yeah, USC is kind of a wild card right now just because you never really know what to expect out of that program. They recruit well. They have the skilled players to, to really beat anyone on any given day. Uh, and maybe now with, with a, a potentially special quarterback, that could turn things around for them. Stanford looked awful. Michigan up close looked awful. I mean, they averaged 2.4 yards per carry against an Army defense that, uh, I kid you not, standing field level, uh, watching Michigan play Army, uh, I mean, it wasn't even varsity versus JV. It was varsity versus the freshman. I mean, there are people on that Army roster playing significant minutes who were smaller than me. And and, uh, (laughs) whatever football cliche you want to throw out there about their fight, their heart, their grit, their teamwork, all that is a 1,000% true. I mean, Army football is – Everything you could ever ask for uh, from a collective group Matt, of guys. Matt, I've covered 18 there. Notre Dame Navy games. I know all about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, but Navy's been good over the years. Army only until recently, until Jeff Munkin got there, had really turned it around. And, I mean, to see them just completely take Michigan out of the rhythm. I mean, this wasn't the Oklahoma game last year where Army just played keep away and limited Kyler Murray's possessions. I mean, time of possession was almost down the middle in regulation. And uh, Michigan went for it on fourth and short twice in the fourth quarter. I got stuffed both times. Shea Patterson, I mean, we've talked about this off air. I'll be shocked if he's a starting quarterback for for Michigan when Notre Dame goes into there in October. I just don't think he's that good. And I think they're going to have to eventually make a change to reboot that offense because uh, they need to play a lot better than they are offensively. And we haven't seen any signs of this brand new uh, pace and space Josh Gaddis offense that we were promised all throughout the offseason. I mean, they just looked very, very flat. I think that defense is good, and they're going to give Notre Dame and a lot of other pro- uh, programs some problems this year. But, uh, I mean, we overreacted to Notre Dame week one, probably in the heat of the moment in the press box, just minutes removed from it. Uh, let's just say I felt a lot better about Notre Dame after Louisville than I did about Michigan after Army. Uh, both of them were able to, to escape with a victory. Michigan, a, a true escape. Uh, it's a game they should have lost. But uh, I, I think Michigan for, for sure is going to get dinged up a few times before they play Notre Dame. I don't think they're going to beat Wisconsin in two weeks either. I mean, I, I just did not think that's a good offensive football program right now. Yeah, I mean, what what are Notre Dame fans like more than winning? Being able to say Michigan was overrated and they were right all along. I mean, that's... <laughs> That was a huge win on the bye week for Notre Dame message boards, frankly. Can, can, can I just say, uh, being around, I, I love Ann Arbor. I, lo- I love the school. I love you know go, going there and family in the area. Uh, I walk around that campus and that downtown this weekend, and all I can think about is how bad I feel for Brian Kelly. Why do you ask that? Because he goes to work every day at a place that has statue upon statue of national championship winning coaches. And if he was at Michigan – where they've practically renamed the state after a guy who's never won a national title and who went 5-4-1 and one against their arch rival. He held par, basically, and went 2-8 and eight in the Rose Bowl. I'm talking about Bo Schembechler. I am sorry. There, I mean, obviously neither of us were alive then. Is there a more overrated coach in, in college football history? I mean, 
He's got his own store down there. They were selling onesies saying the nap, the nap, the nap that I was almost jokingly going to buy for my eight-month-old daughter uh, because I, I just find it comical how crazy they go for this guy. And in some ways, that's emblematic of Michigan, emblematic of the Big Ten, right? As long as we win the Big Ten and get to the Rose Bowl, everything's good. Who cares about the rest of the country? He went 2-8 and eight in the Rose Bowl, and he has zero <laughs> national titles. And Brian <laughs> Kelly has done an awesome job at Notre Dame outside of winning a national title. So uh, that was kind of my uh, big-picture takeaway when we talk about the rivals. Michigan is a curious, curious place. I, um, yeah, I think what was the quote? Those who stay will be champions, but not of college football, I guess. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's an interesting dynamic there. I don't know. Maybe we're going to have to have like a podcast off with uh, the Michigan's podcast. Cause I know, I know you were, you had an impassioned plea that Notre Dame fans would not let us get uh, outdrawn by uh, the Michigan podcasts that are on the athletic. I, I- I say that, and then our, our Nick Baumgartner asked the Jim Harbaugh play calling question. And Harbaugh says, "Well, I listen to your podcast. You have a lot of opinions." I don't know. I didn't see Brian Kelly say that to you today, unless he I did not. Um, not. I, I don't think. Not, he, no, he def- <laughs> There was nothing about that at all. Yeah, I don't think he listens to any podcast. I, I, I actually think he's one of the few coaches who's genuine, and when he says he doesn't read what he, what we write, uh, but that's neither here nor there. Our plea is still out to you, uh, Notre Dame fans. Uh, you cannot let Jim Harbaugh rally the Michigan troops and, uh, <laughs> and get the Michigan podcast more listeners than ours. Yeah, what uh, to get outside of Michigan a little bit, I don't know how much you were able to watch of USC and Stanford, but I, I'm i not sure I came away. I came away thinking, like, USC is not uh, not actually dead in the water, um, but I thought the game probably said more about Stanford, even though they were without K.J. Costello, starting a true freshman at left tackle because uh, Walker Little was out. But I, that that does not excuse getting completely torched defensively by a true freshman quarterback. That I certainly came out of that game thinking like, not only could Notre Dame win at Stanford at the end of the year, but they should. Like this should be the year when they get Stanford in Palo Alto, which has not happened since, you know, to tie it all together, since Jim Harbaugh was the coach. I, I talked to someone connected at Northwestern who obviously lost uh, week one at Stanford, and uh, I think it was 17-7. I mean, there weren't a whole lot of fireworks, and uh, they kind of said, look, we've had our issues for sure. We lost that game, but uh, I, I don't think they came away blown away by Stanford in that game either and certainly didn't come away blown away by Stanford watching them uh, on TV against USC. Uh, you kind of want to give them a mulligan without their quarterback and tackle. But like you said, I mean, that, that just shouldn't happen. And now they've got to go to UCF, which who's going to start a quarterback there? That's a whole other podcast for another <laughs> day, I think. But um, that's a tough cross-country road trip uh, with a different time zone, with everything kind of out of order. We saw what happened uh, the last time they had to do that uh, when they played uh, Northwestern a few years ago in Evanston. Uh, that, that program, I don't want to say that program, that, that team just does not look nearly as good. Uh, right now is some of the North, the Stanford teams of years past. And I came out of it kind of the same way you did. I mean, I said 9-3 and three at the beginning of the year for Notre Dame, losses at Georgia, at Michigan, at Stanford. You know, they haven't won at, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, at Michigan or at Stanford in the Brian Kelly era. Why would that change now? Uh, seeing one of those teams up close and watching uh, most of the other of those teams on TV, um, I think those are games, you know, they're a long way out and a lot can change now from uh, a depth chart standpoint, an injury standpoint, you name it. But uh, those are two teams Notre Dame should be anywhere, anytime, any place, I think, based on the personnel we've seen on the field so far. Yeah, there's no question. It's uh, it's weird. I mean, now, by, by the way, U- USC might be a whole nother. Th- that could turn into a loss if they, they take off, too. I should ma- mention that as well. But we're, that's, yeah, uh, that's a long ways true. out as well. I mean, we'll we'll see if, if Slovis is, is good 
consistently. I mean, it's kind of hard to complete what 85% of your passes on a weekly basis, but um, there was certainly a lot. Look, he put a lot down on film that I'm sure Clark Lee is already looking at it in some ways, or at least having his GAs cut up because it's a, it, it's just a different style of offense than anything USC has played in the past. Um, you know, it, it, I think it, it certainly makes the USC game more interesting. Uh, whereas I think when the season started, certainly after JT Daniels got knocked out, you're just like, all right, that was the marquee game that, you know, it may look like it did two years ago. Now, um, they're going to, they should be able to put Notre Dame under some pressure, um, just with their passing game. But I, yeah, just overall, I think Notre Dame's schedule, it's, yeah, it's a week to week thing. It, you know, one week it looks like, wow, this is a lot harder than I thought, but this is one of those weeks where you come away thinking like, well, they could go 10 and two, I think without, I don't want to say without a whole lot of difficulty, but if they're good, they can still lose at Georgia and then you get a mulligan one other spot and it maybe it necessarily wouldn't be at Michigan because Michigan is not what we thought they would be through two weeks. And certainly, you know, it doesn't need to be at Stanford either because they, they seem like a long way off from what we thought they might be when the season started. So it's, I don't know, it's like Notre Dame's outlook. Maybe that's where they, you know, maybe maybe that's where they benefit from a a good performance. I mean, they, they still won by 18 points on the road against a Power 5 team. Um, you know, Louisville, which I think won 42 nothing over Eastern Kentucky over the weekend. I think Louisville ultimately will be better than what they were expected to be when the season started. Uh, and I think Notre Dame ultimately will be better than what they showed against Louisville on Monday night, um, just based on, you know, I think the markers of where Notre Dame can improve are the guys that I think have a lot of upward trajectory to their careers, to their seasons. Um, you know, I, I just, I don't know, I just, I just sort of look at Notre Dame, and if I was Brian Kelly, I would be kind of encouraged about where things are all going, despite the fact that opening night was not as crisp and sharp as I wanted. Yeah, uh, we tend to overreact. I don't know if anyone notices. Not not just me and you necessarily, but a lot of us uh, in the college football world with a limited sample size. And uh, a lot of us were, were, were panicking early on in that Louisville game and, and didn't feel all that great coming out of it. But, uh, man, if this past week didn't remind you, things could be a lot worse. I mean, I'd like to introduce you to our friends in Tallahassee, Florida, Knoxville, <laughs> Tennessee, Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, even Ann Arbor. I mean, uh there are, there are a lot of blue bloods that have a lot of serious questions uh, that are going to linger probably throughout this whole season, and Notre Dame is not among that group. Uh, uh, they are very close, I think, turning things completely the other way and, and, and being on that upper echelon. So uh, I, I don't want to overlook New Mexico, but I can't wait for that Georgia game because I, <laughs> I, I'm very curious to see what, uh, what, what everyone's about. Yeah, there's no question. And I think, look, Notre Dame's been gearing up for that. And that's one thing I want to add to uh this podcast as well that you know talking to people inside Notre Dame I think there was a perception during the Louisville game as it was unfolding of like why aren't you just running the ball over and over and over and over again and the reason is that Chip Long knows that you can't do that and beat Georgia they need to get the kinks worked out of the passing game now before they show up in Athens so I think again it's sort of one of those negatives that maybe is a positive um you know two, three weeks down the road because Notre Dame is going to have to be firing on all cylinders to have a chance at Georgia. Um, And I think maybe getting, you know, some of that thrown in your face after Louisville by the coaching staff because they, everything I I hear talking to people around the program is last week was kind of a physical punishing, maybe even punitive in some ways, practice schedule where they really, really hit them hard. Uh, And there, there there was no getting around the fact that like, 
guys, we got to play a hell of a lot better than we played at Louisville if we're going to have a chance in Georgia. And you're right. It's like I I can't wait to get down there. I'm sure the team can't wait to get down there. Uh, coaches probably can't wait to get down there. You have to sort of pretend that you can forget all about the opportunity that comes going down to Athens, but, uh, you know, and get through New Mexico. But that's what, that's what the, the first three weeks of the season are about for Notre Dame. It's, it's getting out of the blocks against Louisville, figuring out what you are and what you are not. And then it's fixing that during the bye week, which they, they feel like they did. And then it's showing some of that against New Mexico and then see what you get once you show up in Athens. I mean, that's going to be, it's going to be an, an incredible environment for Notre Dame. Um, you know, and they, and they need sort of more of a, <laughs> they need a miracle from Jafar Armstrong, who won't be available, but Cole Komet will be back for sure. And they need Ian, Bo- Ian Book to be a lot better. So it's um, everything's still in front of Notre Dame. But, I, I, Matt, I'm totally with you. It's like you see what happened last Saturday and you get a reminder, oh, yeah, it's kind of hard to get 18- to 22-year-old males to all behave exactly how you want them to do for three and a half hours and then times 85. So it's uh, it's tough, and I, I think it, it, maybe that's a compliment in, in a very roundabout way to Notre Dame's coaching staff that for the last few years they've been sort of able to avoid moments like Michigan Army, um, you know they, they've they played consistent football and they, they beat the teams that they should beat. Yeah, uh, David Shaw a few years ago had I think the greatest quote in the history of uh, college football coaches when I, I wish I remember the year or the game it came after where they didn't play well, but he casually said, "Here's the thing: football coaches realize that you know 99.9 percent of the population doesn't. Uh, yeah, sometimes 18 to 22 year olds just don't do things the way they should and don't play well." It happens. <laughs> um, yeah. There are a lot of people who can uh, who are not in agreement right now after watching their teams play this past weekend, and that's going to be the case again this week and every other week uh, throughout the course of the season. So uh, no need to get too worked up right now uh, if you're a fan of, of, of an undefeated football team. Pete, I know we Notre Dame had a bye week. I know uh, we were not covering a game, but I'm curious, do you have any game balls for the week uh, based on everything you saw around the country? Hmm. Well, I mean, Joe Burrow, for sure. That was the game that I watched the most of. And I was, I mean, it was just, it was shocking. I have friends who are LSU fans and I think they just never thought they would see anything like that ever. Um, you know, for LSU to play a modern offense like that, that was, that was a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, USC for them to pick themselves off the mat, I thought was encouraging for them. Uh, and then man, BYU, I guess that was just a bizarre game to watch because um, they were dead, backed up at, basically at their own goal line in late in the fourth quarter for them to to get out of Knoxville with a win. Even though Tennessee is a, a bit of a, a dumpster fire, that was pretty impressive for me too. What was I mean? Obviously, you were around Army, so you, you got to give them a game ball for uh, for grit. But uh, what else caught your eye this weekend? Wrong answer, Pete. There's one correct answer here no. uh, on the Shamrock podcast for our Notre Dame listeners, and that is Bob Diaco got his first win as defensive coordinator at Louisiana Tech as they beat Grambling <laughs> State by a score of 20-14. to 14. They gave up 455 yards of offense and were outgained, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, they are 1-1, one and, one, and they uh, – look, a week earlier they held Texas to 45. That vaunted LSU defense uh, gave up 38 to the Longhorns. So I think Bobby D is back, and uh, boy, would he be a great <laughs> guest on this podcast one day, huh? That would be that would be a show. I I think that you know 
<laughs> we should probably make that one of our Thursday premium shows, but I, I feel <laughs> I feel like that information would just want to be out there for for mass consumption. So maybe that would have to be a Monday show. Um, you know, quick, I guess you know they play they play at Bowling Green this week. Oh my God, that's BBG versus Bob Diaco. Oh wow, perfect timing that's, this Thursday. <laughs> that would be some. That's maybe I should go cover that one. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I guess a shout out to a Notre Dame twenty twenty one quarterback commitment Tyler Buckner only because he had seven hundred sixty all purpose yards which is second all-time in California for a single game. So that that is definitely something to uh, make a note of if you're a Notre Dame fan, that uh, the guy they have a few years down the road may be, uh, may be something pretty special. So I guess that would be a, a high, the high school version of the game ball. But, um, yeah, that I think just about does it for our podcast today. This is our free episode of The Shamrock. You can subscribe, theathletic.com backslash The Shamrock, and we will be back Thursday with our bonus episode for athletic subscribers. Hopefully we can get a guest on for that, similar to what we had with Brady Quinn last week. Bob Diaco. If you're a subscriber Diaco. and have not listened to that show, I think you'd – yeah, Bob Diaco, we'll see if he's available. I, I, you know, it'd have to be more than a 30-minute show. But um, that uh, that Brady Quinn interview, I think you'll find, get a lot of great insights on Ian Book and, and sort of where he needs to take his game moving forward. But – Until our Thursday podcast, I'm Pete Sampson. He's Matt Fortuna. Thanks for listening to another edition of The Shamrock on The Athletic.